Hawkins at Guarantee Insurance. About your burglary claim? Made your loss all right. Funny you remembered to file, but you didn't remember to pay your premium. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm, as per usual, Nathan Paletta. And uh, also, as per usual, I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. I was trying to think of something cute to say there, and I couldn't. <laughs> I threw you off with my, my new cadence, yeah, with my yeah. changing cadence. It's good. Um, Gotta shake it up every once in a while. Yeah, you don't want to be on autopilot the whole time. Well... Speaking of going off of autopilot, uh, mm-hmm. we do usually have some kind of selection scheme for our episodes, and we kind of go back and forth picking them. But this one mm-hmm. comes to us by way of a listener request. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we got an email from listener Jim from Maine, who would like to hear us talk about Season 3, Episode 9, Return to the 38th Parallel. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're doing. Also a return to Ned Beatty. Yes. And I think, I think we're, we're, this is going to be a wrap on Ned Beatty. There's going to be a couple wraps in this one. This is the final of his appearances. He was also in the season one two-parter, Profit and Loss. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty fun set of episodes because, I guess, in the sense of showcasing his range, right? Because in mm-hmm. Profit and Loss, uh, which we did... He's like a heavy with a firm handshake, right? He's the financially guy, right? Yeah. He's running the, like, this big financial kind of scam. But yeah, he has the real firm handshake. Yeah. He, he, he transitions from, like, trying to get one over on Rockford to just straight up trying to, you know, preserve his, his own interests and everything. And he's, he's like, the main guy. You know, he's the villain in that one. Mm-hmm. I was just checking, checking uh, Ned Beatty's IMDb. He passed away last year. Uh, mm-hmm. in the summer of last year. Yes, we did Profit and Loss in our episode 55. So if anyone wants to go hear what we had to say about Ned Beatty there, yeah. back from August of 2019. Um, it's also the one where there's the uh, great scene where Jim is talking to an accountant at a hot dog stand. Yes. Memorable moment. One of the more classic scenes. Anyway, as we will get into in this episode, Ned Beatty is the opposite of that in most ways. He is a friend of Jim's. He's mm-hmm. a schlub. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's down on his luck and he has an amazing creeper mustache. <laughs> yes. But we will, of course, get into that as we get into the episode. This is also going to be a wrap on the writer and this is a solo director effort which we generally don't consider a rap but this is the only appearance right. of our director as well this one is directed by bruce kessler i had the an interesting experience looking him up so first of all just starting on imdb it's like okay he's done, done some tv some some movies some tv movies uh this is his only rockford files appearance but he directed a movie called simon king of the witches and I was like, oh, Epi, let me tell you about Simon, <laughs> King of the Witches. Yeah, I'm, I'm in already, but mm-hmm. go on. It's from 1971. The logline is, Simon, a young man with magic powers, invokes the help of the evil forces in order to take revenge on a man who cheated him with a bad check. <laughs> and if you look more into it, I have not seen this movie. It's a Andrew Prine vehicle. I mean, not vehicle. Andrew Prine's in it. I would recognize him from many movies of the 70s. Oh, yeah. I feel like we may have some listeners who are like, we, I know who that is. Um, yeah, I, I know some listeners who would know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> but this movie apparently was written by a practicing warlock and is considered to be a translation of his story 
onto screen. This guy, wow. Robert Piffany. Uh, I'm going to say the the poster for this mm-hmm. that that's on IMDb is magnificent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just speaks directly to my soul. Um, and I, in the back of my head, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath is playing while I'm staring at this. Yeah. All right. All right. You've convinced me. I will watch Simon King of the Witches. And it's apparently on Tubi. So, you know, I know you uh, oh, have yeah. that available to you. So maybe you can report back next time and tell us about it. Yeah. Oh, man. But then going off of IMDb, I had to go all the way to Wikipedia to learn that his movie career was apparently kind of his second act. uh, And he was before then he was a race car driver. Ah, (laughs) well, hold on. (laughs) That's interesting in the context of this episode. A little bit. There is no car chase, right? There's no car chase. There is one significant car moment, which I'm sure we will both oh, yeah, want to yeah. talk about. But yeah, there is no car chase. I mean, I don't know how big. So his entry on Wikipedia is entirely framed around his very minimal car racing career and mm-hmm. also mentions he's a director. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm not really, you know, so I think the car enthusiasts might have gotten to him first. Yeah, that's weird because he doesn't have a small IMDb. Like, he, yeah, he was a working director for sure. Yeah. You've seen show, like if you if you've watched shows in the 70s and 80s, you've seen a show that he's he directed like chips, like a bunch of chips and Greatest American Hero. And like, yeah, uh, he directed some of the monkeys like <laughs> it's Simon, the King of Witches. He also did Angels from Hell. Mm. All right, I might be, I might be really into this. <laughs> Sorry, go on. He's just directed movies that would be good Sabbath songs if yeah, they're not yeah, already, exactly. like Angels <laughs> from Hell, Killers Three, Simon King of the Witches. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, another claim to fame apparently is that, and this is just from Wikipedia. Um, he was on a way to a. Oh boy! Even just reading this, I don't really know what a lot of this means. So he was going to a race. He met for dinner with. James Dean and his mechanic, who are also going to the race. Okay, all right. Bruce Kessler and his mechanic left first. And then the next thing that happened is that this oh. was the fatal crash where James Dean right. was killed. So he's the last person alive who spoke with James Dean before his death. Wow. Per Wikipedia. Right. Yeah. And then after a serious crash in the 1959 Examiner Grand Prix in Pomona, he spent days in a coma and then retired from racing. Uh, and then went on to direct Death Moon, the made-for-TV movie. Right. So, interesting trivia of, about Bruce Kessler. Um, this episode is written by Walter Dallenbach. A wrap on him. This is the second of his two Rockford Files appearances. The other episode he wrote was Joey Blue Eyes back in season two, which mm. we did in our episode 85. And I think we talked about him a little bit in that episode, but I'll refer you again to his uh, obituary from 2014 that really captures what sounds like an extremely interesting life um, that is not reflected anywhere else on the internet that I could find other than he wrote (laughs) some TV. Uh, But uh, he also taught screenwriting um, from... Uh, 1990 to 2010 and i don't recall if i actually if i gave many excerpts from this in that episode uh so if so i guess apologies but there was something that struck me here rereading this a bit in his last days he said you know when good times and good work are surrounding you it all seems like a merry-go-round moving colorado a strange adventure in nebraska new york city on universal's backlot new friends made and gone 
relationships intense, then broken. It is not real life, but it is life. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I do not remember that quote, and I like <laughs> that quote. That's unlike. So, I'm trying to think now if there's really much parallel with the Joey Blue Eyes um, story or script. I'm trying to remember. Jim is brought in by um, Beth's friend. Right. Whose dad is like a mob, like a mob guy who is facing <laughs> getting iced out of his restaurant business. Right. He keeps like threatening people. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably some parallels between uh, Ned Beatty's character and mm. this guy. They, they, a little bit. They yeah. won't take any good advice. They refuse it. But that's a common, like we have Angel. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I was thinking they actually both have a good, like, let's see Jim play out an entire con on the small right. scale. Like the whole episode isn't that, but like in that one, they have the whole, uh, what's it called? Cackle bladder. The whole thing where Jim gets like shot or where they stage Joey shooting Jim mm-hmm. for the benefit of the, like the other mobsters or whatever. Uh, and then this one again, we'll get to it, but there's a good soup to nuts, um, con pretending to be from a TV station mm-hmm. yes. that I feel like has yeah, kind yeah. of a similar, like, Let's see every element of this so we see it all all come together in the hands of this master con man. Uh, not that that is unique to these two episodes, yeah, but yeah. Um, it is definitely I fun to watch. I was just thinking that any parallels we find between the two are also parallels yeah. with the Rockford Files in general. Uh, but they're fun. I mean, like I remember enjoying that one, and I, I did enjoy this one, mm-hmm. uh, which I, that's a shocker. I know a long time <laughs> listeners surprised that I enjoyed a Rockford Files episode, mm-hmm. but as it turns out, I do occasionally enjoy them. Right. Well, here we are. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of enjoying the Rockford Files, was there anything to enjoy in the preview montage? Uh, uh, the thing is, most of the stuff that I call out in the preview montage. Mm-hmm. That we don't get a lot of like reoccurring characters. Rocky's in it briefly, and I think he might even be in the yeah, he's in the the preview montage that's just yelling at Jim mm. because people are shooting at Jim and and that he's angry about that. Um, and we get a reference to Dennis, so we get both of them. Like we mentioned, there's no real car chases, so we don't have any car mm-hmm. chase things. There's a good dog. <laughs> um, the, the dog is not a a major plot in the the story but i do like uh the scene around the dog yeah yeah uh and there's a really good it ends with like a, a just a just a nice death threat like mm-hmm. a very solid classic yeah um i can't i just wrote down it was a nice death threat i, I think it, he's like it would it would be nothing for me to yeah like it would be really easy for me to convince the cops that you were breaking and entering and i like mm-hmm. killed you in self-defense or something like that yeah yeah yeah, uh, I did feel like I ended this one with a note of, I have no idea what this episode's going to be about. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know it'll be about Rockford stuff, but in terms of, yeah. you know, sometimes you get a sense like, oh, this is like a, a mob one, or this is one where mm-hmm. there's a, I mean, it turns out that there is an insurance thing involved, but like, this is going to be an insurance one, or this is going to be, mm-hmm. you know, Jim has asked for help. Like, no idea. Like, we have the little set piece bits, but I'm like, no idea what the actual story here is going to be. Yeah. So that's kind of fun if they just go in and just let it all unfold. Did you know that we are a 100% listener supported show? Our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 a day keep us in the podcast business and in return receive exclusive episode previews as well as plus expenses, a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying and the things going on in our lives. We extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode. Dale Norwood wrote a book, Trading Freedom 
How Trade with China Defined Early America is about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy. Published by the University of Chicago Press. Find it wherever good books are sold. Chuck from whatchareading.com. Paul Townend, who recommends Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling, check out rollforyear.party for all of your online dice rolling needs. Jay Adon, showcasing his amazing miniature painting skills at jayadon.com. Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, Matthew Lee, and Greggy. And finally, a very special thanks to our detective-level patrons for their generous support. Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88, Jordan Bockelman, at Jordan Bockelman, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. Our episode starts off with another in, I think, a recent trend of a short scene establishing our villains that we will get back to much later in the episode, um, <laughs> where we have two guys who are clearly slime balls uh, talking about a piece of, of like a big oil painting, a big piece of classical art. And mm-hmm. we have our uh, slime ball prime who we will eventually learn is named John <laughs> Stabila. And then he has this art dealer that he works with. I think what is established in this conversation, they're kind of like drinking wine and kind of bantering and sniping at each other a little bit. But um, he's he has a big art collection that he's trying to sell. And a lot of it, or possibly all of it, question mark, is stolen. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to get yeah. rid of some of it because... There's like too much trouble from a recent, there's a recent theft where a guard got killed and now he's worried he's going to get too involved or something. So he's, he's asked by the dealer more specifically, like what he wants to get out of it or something. And we end the scene on a, are you here for business or gossip? Like just sell my (laughs) paintings, get them out of here. I like this scene. I think, um, there's a certain, uh, the, okay. These two uh, are everything you just said, plus they're aficionados. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. They appreciate the art, both the art itself and the art of stealing it. Mm. Like that, there's like a little something about like appreciation for how yeah. they mentioned the piece and appreciation for how that piece was stolen. To me, it felt very much like, uh, you know, just two people who are, are in the same business who can appreciate like something done well in that business. That business happens to be the business of stealing and reselling art, uh, <laughs> like high art. Mm-hmm. But like, it, so I like it. It definitely takes them out of the realm of like mob or like. Yeah, it wasn't just menace. Right, right. It's not just menacing. It's more, you really get the selfishness, I think. Like these are mm-hmm. just like selfish, selfish rich guys, which, you know, yeah, <laughs> our favorite villain. <laughs> we cut to... Ned Beatty casing Jim's trailer, trying. He's seeing if the door's unlocked. He's looking in the window, and then the Firebird rolls up as our credits play. As uh, Jim, I think, with his cl- clearly, you know, been out. I don't know, working or something. Mm-hmm. He's just coming home, doing his normal thing. And then Al Brennan is this character jumps Jim from behind and shoves a pretends to stick him up, but he's using like a flashlight mm-hmm. instead of an actual gun, right? And there's a great beat where Jim is, this is the, this is the kind of thing he's dealt with a thousand times. 
Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> hey, buddy, must be a mistake. Uh, but then he recognizes the voice and turns around and, oh, it turns out they're, they're old buddies mm-hmm. from their service together in Korea. This is a good episode that fills in one of our sub themes from i'd say probably the first three seasons it kind of fades away Mm -hmm. as you know we we go further but jim's military history yeah and and the hijinks pursued therein uh we get a lot of good stories about scams and pulling one over on commanders and stuff like that but yeah uh, i think we also get that they clearly haven't seen each other for a long time. This is a big surprise mm-hmm. for Jim to see uh, to see Brennan. Yeah, big old reunion. Yeah. He invites him in, and then we just cut to morning daylight. We see that someone in a van is keeping an eye on the trailer. And then we go inside the trailer. And at first I was like, awfully early for them to be drinking. And then I realized, yeah. no, no, they have just been up all night. <laughs> Uh, this guy in the van is there's a classification of a Rockford character, which I'm going to a little bit of spoiler here. But there's often there's a party who's interested in what's going on, who doesn't exist long enough <laughs> to be uh, doesn't. I'm trying to think of a good way to describe it. But like, I think, oh, this is going to be like one of the bad guys or this is going to be, you know, he is involved. But most of what we'll get about him is uh off screen he's hmm, i'm not sure what this typology would be but at least in this story he's used to show how dastardly the villain can be Mm -hmm. yeah so that we don't have to see the villain do anything really bad to our main characters right right Right. (laughs) (laughs) but i think before we get to that point he is a big source of mystery which is also exactly also important so this is a opening opening banter scene to establish our relationship of these guys and a little bit of their history. I think, I guess I didn't really pick this up from their talking, but just from the description in the, um, that Robertson book, Brennan was one of Jim's commanders. Um, Mm -hmm. so throughout the run of the series, this is actually the last commander that we hear of because we've done the other episodes where he has commanders and they're the two into five fifty six won't go. And then the Hawaiian headache, both involve guys who were Jim's commanders. I I don't think it's specified as to who was what rank win and stuff, but it is uh, kind of a fun little uh, uh, web that one could spin with all of these uh, Mm -hmm. characters. Yeah, my notes were, I couldn't tell if he was Jim's commander or an MP or something like that, because we get this thing about Jim smuggling an entire Christmas party into something. (laughs) Yeah, and how he just couldn't bust Jim because it was too audacious, basically. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a good line, the 38th parallel is only a state of mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, So getting our title here. So the whole... Is that the dividing line for North and South Korea? Yeah, that's the... Yeah, is the 38th parallel. Yeah, so hence, that's uh, calling out to our uh, to our title there. Um, we get a bit of Brennan's story since then. He worked for a collection agency for eight years, uh, but then the company went bankrupt and he was out on the streets. He's been doing freelancing for insurance agencies, but he couldn't pay his racetrack bets. Mm-hmm. So they, they came for his house and he was out on the streets again. Jim mentions him being an auctioneer at some point. He's like, oh, is that when you were an auctioneer? And I was yeah. convinced that this was going to be a thing that there was that like right. auctioneering was going to come up <laughs> later. Uh, but no, this I mean, this fits in with a, a thing that I really love about the rock profiles in general and Jim in particular. If this man was Jim's superior in the military, he's fallen and uh, mm-hmm. 
that doesn't disturb Jim in the slightest. No. <laughs> Jim doesn't have the respect for the hierarchy. Right. That 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 uh, you would think they would have tried to drill into him. He's comfortable being friendly with him, but he, at no point does he like. There's no deference to the the rank or yeah. anything like that. Like he doesn't. He just. He's like, yeah, no, you you've had a bunch of weird odd jobs. I, like I could totally I could totally believe somebody who's going from odd job to odd job thinking, oh, maybe I'll be an auctioneer. That, <laughs> that's a thing people do, right? Mm. Um, another key point is that Brennan's been in New York this whole time. That New York whitefish look. Yes. Well, Jim is planning to go uh, go go camping and fishing with Rocky for a few days, but if Brennan mm-hmm. needs to needs somewhere to to hang out, he can stay in Jim's trailer. Mm-hmm. And he he says, "I owe you one," um, which I guess is just a, again. I was like, "Oh, is this going to come up? Like, what this right yeah debt is?" But I think it's just a general like you didn't bust me back in the day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's a reoccurring theme. I, I'll point it out as it keeps coming up. But there's this thing where. Um, it's not this though. It's more that Al here uh, makes himself pitiable to Jim mm-hmm. by saying, "I don't want your pity." Yeah, and yeah. then making a case for why he should have Jim's pity. Uh, and I, I feel like this is kind of of that. Like, mm-hmm. it, like well, um, it's, it's interesting. Also, so I, I just wanted to note he has a good line in response to that of, "Boy, I admired your style." I mean, any twenty-year-old corporal. Who will smuggle in a Christmas party <laughs> and disguise himself as an intelligence officer? You can't bust a guy like that. Which I think is actually a pretty significant <laughs> character note of Brennan admiring Jim's style. I think that actually will come mm-hmm. back. Uh, but yes, a I think you're I think you're absolutely right that we will see more of how Al does and then tries to manipulate Jim mm-hmm. in that yeah. way. But also, this is an interesting point because, you know, Jim's offering him a place to stay, etc. And that's when I go, like, Al was trying to break in, <laughs> right? It's like, this whole yeah. thing is in service of something mm-hmm. and that Al didn't necessarily, he wasn't actually aiming for Jim to invite him to stay over or whatever. But is yeah. this what he kind of wanted? Like, you know, there's a bit of, because of how it's framed, like, we could have just started out without seeing him at the window. Like just started it with mm-hmm. Jim on the stairs and him coming out of nowhere, and this whole thing would have a slightly different um, level of mystery where we yeah. would kind of see things as we go. But as it's framed, we actually are suspicious from the jump, and is kind of like, all right, what is this guy's angle, right? Let's put some cards on the table here. I, I feel like um, if you're listening to us, you've probably seen the episode, mm-hmm. so like let's let's uh, not worry about spoilers for a moment because yeah. I think. Uh, there are two ways for us to, because there's what I'm thinking in the moment here, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then looking now, having seen the episode, looking back on what's going on, he's running a con on Jim. Right. It's a little unclear in order to what. Uh, he's trying to recover some stolen art, right? right. That much, you know, uh, whether he's trying to recover it for the insurance company or he's going to run off with it, whatever. He's going to use Jim to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the uh, in the very next scene, we're going to see some stuff that plays one way. And I'm trying to think now. That might actually be a, a fun way to talk about this one is these two. What are the parallel stories here? So, yeah, I think it is kind of explained, not explained, explained, but kind of given mention in the end. Um, Brennan's problem is that he doesn't know the area, right? He's from New York. Right. He doesn't have any contacts here. He also has the problem of not really being of not really having the skills 
Like he yeah. clearly has certain skills, but not necessarily the mm-hmm. ones that he needs to do this job. Right. So yeah. his plan is to look up his good buddy from back in the day, Jim, and kind of get Jim involved to follow him to the pot of gold. I think that that was my read, at least. Like, yeah, I'm going to get Jim on it. But then because I know what this is about and he doesn't due to the next scene, I will be able to swoop in at the end, you know, and, and get what I'm actually here for. So so some of the big questions here are like, why doesn't he come at Jim very directly and just say, hey, let's split the, the deal on this? Well, because then he would have to split the oh, deal. He doesn't want to split the deal. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, the stuff I'm going to say is going to make more sense when we get to this very next scene. So should we should we should we move on to the? Mm-hmm. So in our next scene, we see a car arrive and we see some someone wearing fancy high heels coming out, mm-hmm. uh, and we see the the watcher in the van kind of perk up as he sees someone arriving at Jim's trailer. Mm-hmm. This is in real time, so we've been seeing Jim and Brandon yeah. in the trailer, and then Jim saying like, "Okay, well we've been up all night drinking. I'm going to bed," <laughs> and then there's a knock on the door, and uh, he wants Brennan to don't answer it. But Brennan insists. He's like, oh, it might be opportunity, which, again, in this moment is a little like, you know. It's, yeah. When you don't know what's happening, yeah. it seems weirdly insistent. When you do know, oh, right. Oh, he, yeah. This is the next part of the con. Right. He needs right. Jim to, to interact here. And so the person who's come to Jim's door is Marcy, who says that her sister is missing and she needs help. Um, the dynamic here is that Jim is trying to not work. In the way that Jim right. does. Brennan is not pushing Jim necessarily, mm-hmm. but sliding in to be like, well, if Jim's not going to do it, like I can mm-hmm. help you. Right. Which I think works on both levels um, because we know why he's doing it for the con. But also this is not out of character right. from this what Jim a- understands of this guy who's kind of an operator. Right. Yeah. Uh, at this point, in the in my first viewing, I'm I've completely fallen for this con. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense that this guy would want to like we've seen enough people try to we literally saw someone pretend to be Jim Rockford. Right, right. I was gonna say that yeah, in Beamer's last case, I was like, Oh, this is kind of a thematic pair where we get to see yeah. <laughs> um uh Brennan like try to become Jim, kind of. Mm-hmm. Kind of. And uh but but the the con part of it uh is that like Brennan has hired this woman or this woman and Brennan are involved, which is another possibility right, yeah. uh, to tug on Jim's heartstrings to try and get him into it. It's, it's two pronged. So I feel like this whole, the whole thing on, I think the whole con on Jim actually demonstrates a very uh, clear reading of Jim's character. Yeah. Like Brennan knows, or at least thinks he knows and is generally right. What is going to, get Jim to do what he wants Jim to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so this woman, Marcy, he, he, her sister, Linda is missing. Um, she has been missing for a couple weeks, I guess. Um, Marcy is getting worried because the last thing she talked to Linda about, Linda told her that her, I think she says like the man he was, she was seeing or her boyfriend, um, this guy named John Stabila, was doing something illegal. And then she hasn't heard from her since, which is unusual because she usually calls every day and blah, blah, blah. They have moved outside to a little coffee table where they're having having the 
morning coffee and and shop talk uh and jim is explaining that most missing people don't want to be found which is why he doesn't usually take this kind mm-hmm. of case but he can recommend people and then brennan goes well my partner won't take it but i will <laughs> just stepping right in there yeah well he gives us jim's great like just go along with me look yeah and jim's like can i talk to you <laughs> <laughs> so Jim, Jim's read is that Brennan being an operator who is probably broke, right? Uh, if, yeah. she, if he didn't say that outright is like, look, she's not a score. This is a woman in trouble, right? you know, and you're not a PI. I am like, you're not going to help this. But Brennan's thing is like, look, this could be big for me. <laughs> He's peeked through enough keyholes in his time. And then he asked Jim, how did you get your PI license? I got to start somewhere. Maybe I can help her. Yeah. <laughs> Jim gets to see Brennan do a thing that Jim ex- expects Brennan to do mm-hmm. and kind of get talked into letting him do it. Because at the end of the yeah. day, he doesn't actually want to take this case. And this, I think this is another one of those scenes where maybe the first of the scenes where Brennan is like, don't start feeling sorry for me, pal. And then mm-hmm. like lays all the reasons to feel sorry for him. Um, I dig that approach to Jim. <laughs> like <laughs> just the like, no, 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 I don't want to, I don't want your pity. But I mean, like someone should pity me for for all the fact that I've lost all my money and need a job. And mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I, I I think like I, I definitely complicate this as we talk about it now, because the scene itself is not complicated. It's straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is of a style that we are, are on the show, at least I, I like it. I'm at a point now where I can't contextually put episodes uh, <laughs> in the timeline of the series because we've been jumping around so much. But like, you know, we're, we're used to like somebody muscling in on Jim's action here. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about this is that Jim doesn't want the action and it's okay for someone to muscle in on it at this point. Yeah, he's kind of like, I don't really want to take this case and I don't think you should because I think you're going to do a yeah. bad job. But I guess I can't stop stop you right but unfortunately perhaps you should have stopped him um Mm -hmm. so our next scene uh we have jim on the beach fishing and he seems (laughs) to have gotten a good one i think on his line but then he's flanked by two guys who flash an irs badge (laughs) internal revenue service and starts reeling in his line of course i'm like oh so brennan is in trouble with the irs right like i'm like okay now we're now we're getting somewhere (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh we we go to this is actually, again, more interesting in retrospect. So we start with Brennan on the phone, and he has a picture of the guy, Stabila, that we could recognize from the first scene, I think. Um, yeah. And on the phone, he's talking to someone. And he says, I can't get too close or he's going to or he'll take my picture and it's going to blow everything. And then there's a knock on the door and he hurriedly hangs up and puts it away um, and answers it. Uh, so... Maybe we'll get back to that in a second. So I guess what happened was that Brennan used Jim's name and his PI license number to get some kind of information from the IRS about Stabila. And since the IRS doesn't like being used that way, now they're coming down on Jim and have threatened to audit audit him for the last seven years. Obviously, they could yeah. audit you, but like threatening yeah. to audit you as the threat is like very Rockford Files. Yeah. You're clean, aren't you, Jim? Brennan, nobody is clean. If the auditor doesn't find anything, they take his pencils away. But that's not really the point. So he wants to, you know, so basically Jim's like, all right, you're you're already stumbling around and making my life difficult because you're incompetent. Yeah. And Brennan says that he got a thousand dollar payment from Marcy, but he's already it's already gone. 
gone on the horses. Mm -hmm. He gave it to his bookie that he owes money to, or he'd end up with broken kneecaps. So Jim's like, okay, I'm going to sort this whole thing out because I want to go on my camping trip. And you're making this difficult. Uh, So he makes a call to the title certificate transfer department at the county courthouse. He wants Brennan to, to stay out of his, you know, not to stumble around, get out from under his feet. And Brennan says he'll stay out of the way, but he wants to learn everything he can. <laughs> and he's got another one of these lines where he's like, you're only doing this because you feel like you owe me. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> not why he's doing it, but like, I want to remind you that you owe me. And, and Jim's like, I'm doing it so I can go camping with my dad. That's- yes, exactly. <laughs> I've been very upfront about it. So again, with the framing of we see Brennan doing something, and then that's clearly something he doesn't want Jim to know about for the rest of yeah. the scene, right? So now I'm like, okay, so Brennan, he's is he doing some kind of other investigation? Is he a cop? Right. Like someone's going to take a picture of him. It can't be Jim. And then it turns mm-hmm. out that this is actually relevant later. And I'd actually, I'd forgotten about it by the time we get to that point. So maybe it wasn't, I oh, just yeah. wasn't paying enough attention or it wasn't seated really at the I right time. I think I probably did too. But the picture thing is relevant later. So on the level of the con though, yeah. now Brennan has used this tactic of calling the IRS down on Jim to pressure Jim into mm-hmm. essentially taking the case, right? Yeah. So he's weaponized his known incompetence yes. to get Jim involved. Okay, so we're now we're kind of we're we're hitting a little bit of um all of this con that he's doing works for me if he goes to Jim with the job and Jim refuses the job and then he has to find a way to get Jim to do the job. But in the previous scene they stay up all night talking he doesn't mention the job and then a pre-arranged meeting with this uh i forget her name now Mm -hmm. Um, marcy marcy uh happens so it feels like he went into it knowing jim wasn't going to take the job right and i'm not gonna say anything about that i'm just i'm just letting that exist in the universe well you don't think (laughs) you don't think there's like he has a couple different things he could do like if if Jim Maybe, takes, but, the, takes Marcy's job, right? He's like, okay, yeah. it'll be $200 a day plus expenses. I'll do what I can. And then knowing what we know of Brennan, doesn't he have a, doesn't he have a possible path of like, oh, I don't have anything going on. Let me, let me tag along and learn from you. Like kind of what he's doing here. Yeah, I guess so. He just says like, it earlier. He's, he's adapting his, his mm-hmm. whatever he's trying to do, he's adapting it to what Jim's doing. I guess yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. All right. I, I will buy it. I'm not actually complaining about any of this. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to make sense of it in my yeah. brain. I, I feel like it's a, it's one of those. It's less that there's like a big plan that's going to operate with clockwork pre- precision. And it's right, more right. like yeah. he's going to, much like Jim, in fact, Brennan is, is, has some tactics and he's going to improvise as needed. He's going to make his plays when he can make his plays. Yeah. yeah. And it starts falling apart towards the end, right? Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Like, which is, which is, I think, he's not a mastermind. He's not like, you know, he's not a Moriarty, right? Like, <laughs> there's a level at which he's, he knows that Jim is not going to have a very high opinion of him. Mm-hmm. But also at the end of the day, Jim's not very high opinion of him is kind of warranted. <laughs> there's kind of a play there. Anyway, our next scene is the good full con that we get to see mm-hmm. where jim is a k-e-i-u tv reporter <laughs> yeah or a producer or somebody yeah. that's doing the, the preliminary work so he's at this real estate office and it's the people who it's the the company that sold john saliba his house uh which was mm-hmm. seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in 
yeah, 1970, whatever. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Our our rule of thumb is to multiply by five. Yeah. So that's three million, mm-hmm. right? That's where we're at. You could you could get a a modest house in the San Francisco Bay Area for that much these days. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, Jim comes in straight with like we're doing a story on this guy. He's under investigation mm-hmm. from he lists off SEC, SEC, FTC, FHA, SBA, every alphabet, like every <laughs> everyone you can think of. He'd like to see the financial report for the sale, and of course, we can't show you that. It's, you know, prior, uh, confidential, etc. And then he says the magic words, and I will tell your superior, your superior that as well. <laughs> um, so Jim says, "Oh, that's fine. You know what? We can call him right now. I'll call him for you." So Jim takes <laughs> the guy's phone, calls his own answering machine. Yeah, well, that's what he says. Yeah, he can't give us anything. You want to talk to him? This is Jim Rockford at the tone. Leave your name and. Yeah. Oh, Les, give me a break, will you? How many stories do you want out of one day, huh? Yeah. All right. What do I care? Right. Okay. <laughs> he first has he first has a conversation with uh, a uh, secretary that he can right commiserate about the boss with, which I think is a great touch. Like, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't you wouldn't get in touch with the boss right away, and then you can have like a. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a good detail. He play acts his his side of it, and then mm-hmm. he ends with, "How many stories do you want from one day?" And so he's acting <laughs> increasingly aggrieved, like, "Okay, well, since my boss is such a jerk, now I have to do all this extra work, right?" Yeah. So it's kind of a a play <laughs> on the like, "We're just regular guys. Let's make each other's lives yeah. easy." Uh, thing he tells Brennan to go load up the camera and have george bring in the audio box like you know blah 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 mm-hmm. um and the this poor realtor is increasingly uh uh you know worried about what's going on he says well since we can't get anything about the stabila thing my producer wants me to or my editor or whatever wants me to ask you a couple questions about you know your real estate business and specifically that redevelopment project over on the you know mm-hmm. west side about all those cost overruns. They have some back and forth. This kind of fun thing where it feels like Jim, uh, he's trying to find a way to pressure him. And he kind of hits a thing that doesn't. Right. And then he just pushes it a little further. And it it, it kind of mirrors the IRS thing. Hmm. Like, nobody's clean. <laughs> no, no, the cost overruns. Like, right, right. Oh, uh, there's probably something there that, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Yeah, there's cost overruns. It's a good subject for the 11 o'clock news. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Yeah. And then he says, like, and if you if you don't have anything to say, that's fine. We'll just end the segment with and there was no, you know, and blah, 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 had no comment to make. Yeah. With a significant <laughs> look. So now the realtor is like, look, I'll talk to your editor and sort mm. this out. Oh, God. Yeah. So I think this is like the magic of this particular con where Jim has now constructed the reality of this terribly difficult man right on the other end of the phone. Mm-hmm. And Jim's like, all right, give him a call. But don't come on all righteous. He's a bear yeah. with a nose for beehives. <laughs> Not sure what that means, but it's, it's very good. He, he, uh, the way he presents this is great because he, he's like, let me, let me know, help like you one out. working man to another. Let me help you out here. Yeah. Like if you're going to talk to him, just whatever you do, don't like I've, I've dealt with this guy and this is how you, mm-hmm. you would. I'm on your side. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. And so this gives him enough pause, gives the realtor enough pause to hang up the phone and say, look, if I give you this tabula file in exchange for confidentiality, you know, mm-hmm. will that mean you 
don't write this other story. And then Jim kind of plays like, he's like, oh, confidentiality. I don't know about that. So he lets the guy talk him into the deal of, like, yeah. yes, we won't mention your name. You'll be a reliable source. And so the guy goes to the um, to the door to call for the file. And we see Jim turn over his notepad paper where he has just been <laughs> doing a busy tic-tac-toe the whole time. <laughs> it's a good bit. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was nice because I was like, I didn't really know where it was going to go at each point. Mm -hmm. And just seeing the ice cold, like the the ice in the veins of Jim as he's like watching the guy reach for the phone. (laughs) Yeah. mm -hmm, Just Uh, no, no sense that he was worried at all. Just like, just keep going. Yeah. You know, keep this guy, string him along just long enough. It's a, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a great scene. And it's, I mean, you could really think, what's the worst that can happen to Jim in this situation? So, like, mm-hmm. I'm, I know if I were in this situation, if I was Jim, I would be terrified of being found out. But I think Jim's secret power is that he's like, well, if I'm found out, then... But they'll kick me out. Yeah, they'll kick me out. Like, yeah. then I'm no worse off than when I came in. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it, so... Why not? You know, I think that's part of like, like Jim, the stakes for Jim are often much lower than say like Angel. Angel, if he's found out, he doesn't make his money. With that comes this confidence that allows him to just, just play it really cool. And of course, he's done some high risk cons and we've seen them. Mm. And he's, he maintains that level of coolness throughout that. But it just, it's just something that I've, I've often think about in these scenes because I am nervous for Jim. Right, right, with, right. And he is clearly not nervous. The biggest, yeah, the biggest downside is like, I don't get the file here. Maybe I get threatened. Like, I'll, I'll call the cops for impersonation. And I just leave and I get the file some other yeah. way. And Al is in this scene, right? <laughs> yeah, he was there. And then Jim, it, it, it lends some credence because Jim sends him to go get his camera, right? So it's like. Yeah, yeah. He's implying that there's a whole crew outside just waiting mm-hmm. to, you know, come start shooting footage or whatever. But but he plays his part where he's like, he goes, he's he has some mumbo jumbo. He's like, oh, you want me to tell him to load up the real real, like whatever he, you know, he uses yeah, yeah. some extra <laughs> verbiage to add, to add a little bit to the um to the illusion. Um, we go to them in the Firebird where Jim is sending Brennan into the uh, clerk's office or whatnot to get some kind of records he says to give the guy my name and uh and fifty dollars he has his pride (laughs) that is an excessive amount of pride when you think about our like i just mentioned our rule of thumb is Mm. multiply it by five so we're talking about a 250 dollar roughly a 250 and in fact i just looked it up on the inflation calculator and it's it is multiplied by five almost Mm. exactly multiplied by (laughs) five right now Mm. so that's it's that that is like telling someone yeah just slip them a couple hundred dollars Mm. you know i'm not gonna casually do that (laughs) that's the whole like purchasing power thing right like inflation matters more for some things than for others yeah yeah. like over time (laughs) the value of a 50 dollar bribe may have actually stayed relatively consistent while everything (laughs) else has gotten more expensive (laughs) um and then they have a good exchange about how most pi work is boring which I know is one of our favorite themes. Yeah. Brennan is is a little, he's like, you're sending me on errands and I thought we'd be like <laughs> staking people out and going on patrol and stuff like that. He's like, no, this is, what did you think PI work was? Like it's spending time right. in libraries and record offices, looking at papers, but he's sending Brennan to get this thing. And Jim has a, on his, in his notebook, he has a bunch of assets listed that a clerk, you know, mm-hmm. he got from that file. So like the house was $750,000. The guy's a boat that's $250,000. And then yeah. it says like art, like art collection, 1.2 million or something. Like it's very <laughs> specific. 
Jim wants to go check out the boat because there's a lot of boat for someone to get lost on. So we see the guy in the van watch Brennan cross the street and go into the thing. You might notice at this point, this is poor man's Robert Redford. He does look a little bit like Robert Redford. Yeah, (laughs) you're not wrong. I mean, eventually we'll find out that this guy's Aaron's. Mm -hmm. Tom Stewart. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no picture. I mean, he's an FBI agent in an awful lot of TV shows. Yeah. Yeah, Google image search for Tom Stewart actor. Mm. And there are several (laughs) actors. But Tom Stewart, like the first couple that show up. Yeah, he really has a, a Robert Redford look mm-hmm. about him. And then they start showing me pictures of Tom Baker because Google knows that I like Doctor mm-hmm. Who. <laughs> um, the other thing I noted here, so he's he's like looking intently at parking meters, like he's inspecting them or something. And mm-hmm. they have the little red, white, and blue tops on oh, them. Yeah. So I must, I'm, I... I'm here to to right an unconscionable wrong that we committed in oh, yes. <laughs> one of our recent episodes, which was that we talked about the red, white, and blue novelty phone uh, mm-hmm. and posited that it was because this that episode, like this episode, was shot in 1976 and thus was those kind of American flag novelty items were part of the bicentennial celebration, right. not the centennial celebration as we uh i think spoke in that episode yeah we we accidentally we misspoke i mean i remember the bicentennial i was three years old at the time uh (laughs) yeah we 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 shortened american history by 100 years we regret the error um but yeah i was like uh look at those interesting parking meters and then it's like oh this came out (laughs) in this in fact aired in december of 76 so Mm -hmm. there you go Jim goes to check out this boat. He has an amazing bit oh, of, of just cold read, I think, with the um, with the skipper. I mean, the the previous con was was a really superb mm-hmm. uh, Rockford con, but this one I think might be one of my favorites from from Neptune Insurance mm-hmm. onward. <laughs> yeah, so he's Nep- Neptune Marine Insurance. Yeah, it's it's great because this scene is great, and then it pays off later in a way that is awesome. Yeah. Great, <laughs> oh, it's so good. So yeah, he's Neptune Marine Insurance, um, and his line is that uh, you know the owner of the boat, Stabila, has applied for additional coverage, and he's an adjuster to come check it out. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking to the skipper, who is a crusty old nautical man, <laughs> but he gets on his good side with nothing but compliments about the boat. Yeah. I like the modification of the bridge up here. Very nice. Yes, sir. Days like this make my job worthwhile. They're all too rare. Thank you. They got twin Cummins down below? Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful power plant. Yeah. Oh, well, some people prefer the Benson, but uh, no comparison. None. Not in a big blow. No, sir. Well, what do you have to look at? The, the, I think the key to it is that, like, he's not, they're not vagaries. They're specific, yeah. No. I don't know if this is an indication that Jim's done research before doing this and had this mm-hmm. or if Jim, because he lives <laughs> all, like near the ocean and, and he does fishing. He probably actually, this feels like pun intended. This feels like it's within Jim's wheelhouse, right? Mm-hmm, like it, mm-hmm. it's, but it also is illustrative of like Jim's every man thing. Mm-hmm. He will find your niche knowledge and present himself as someone sharing it. Yeah, as a, as a fellow enthusiast. Yeah, exactly. And 
it, this is great. This, uh, I really enjoyed this one. It's like if I was trying to talk my way into your house and I was like, oh, do you have you have all of Usagi Yojimbo? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have the full run? Yeah, I don't. I wish I did, but and then and then you're in. You're already in. <laughs> right. <showing> and <laughs> then if I knew two more details about like about that, then right. I could, you know, get my way all the way up to your library without you suspecting a thing. It would be super easy to just look at anything on my shelf and just say, Oh, you have and then Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean I'm just looking at your comic rack behind you. So. Yeah, you're just looking <laughs> over my shoulder right now. Oh, you have Wolf Spell? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's Yep. Well, this this whole thing. So he, he gets the tour of the boat and we are just left with the sense that Jim finds out about the boat. Well, there's nothing yeah. like there's not like he's doing anything with that information. He just kind of wanted to check it out at this time. Yeah. All right. Let's take a little pause in the action here so that we can all sit back and catch our breaths. And Epi and I can let you know where you can find us elsewhere on the Internet, because as it turns out, we do do other things then talk about the Rockford Files from time to time. Epi, where can our fine listeners find you and your work? You can find my work at www.worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. Or at digathousandholes.com, with the thousand being numeral 1000. I like complex URLs. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. Where can we find you, Nathan? The hub for all of my stuff, from games to zines to podcasts, is ndpdesign.com. I recently started a new podcast called Appendix NDP, which is a solo show where I talk about various topics in games and publishing. So I will plug that for listeners of podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpaoletta, P-A-O-L-E-T-T-A. And on Instagram at the same handle, though I probably will only have pictures of my dog. So, you know, that may be a plus. <laughs> <laughs> now we return to the adventures of Jimbo Rockfish on 200 a Day. Um, we go back to Aaron's, our watching guy who watches Brennan mm-hmm. come out with files. And he gets into a very fancy looking red top cab. I don't yeah. know why I always notice the cabs when they're not just generic yellow cabs. I'm like, ooh, that's a fun cab. The music gets a little funky at this point, too. Sticking with my vow to potentially music with the cab. But this is like funky, I'm being chased music, and he he can hear it. He can cle- <laughs> clearly hear that he's being followed. Brennan, yeah. Yeah, I didn't really notice the music myself. It's the funky Rockford Files background music. It's not... Mm-hmm. It's not Anything we haven't heard before, but it, it, the shift is is fun. Um, so Brennan realizes that they're being followed. Um, mm-hmm. The cabbie is like, well, I can lose him. And Brennan says, uh, <laughs> no, I can't afford the gas. Just let me out over here. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it's great. The cabbie, we, I don't even think we see his face, but no. he does spend some time trying to talk Brennan into staying in the cab, which is fun. And yeah, so his gambit is just to get out at a different place. So there's actually another clue here in retrospect. Because he's like, you told me to go mm-hmm. to the something something insurance building. Yeah. And again, I just let that pass. I didn't really note it. But that is actually a significant detail for Brennan mm-hmm. uh, in retrospect. So we then have a fun little sequence where Brennan gets out. The guy following him sees him, gets out, falls him into the building. He pockets that folder in his waistline. Yeah. In his waistband. It, there was just something beautifully graceful about it. I couldn't imagine being able to pull that off. And he just, <laughs> he's just like, just, I'm just going to tuck this folder, this manila folder, into a place where no one's going to find it. All right, I just wanted to put that out there. Another Al Brennan superpower. 
we have a, a great little gambit where we we see the old school oh, yeah. floor indicator dial, the little like, <laughs> clock hand go up and then come down and our uh, errands hits the same button to go up to that same floor. He gets in the elevator, but Brennan is waiting for him, grabs him, mm-hmm. and has a wonderful line. Okay, pal, you got exactly 12 stories to tell me yours. Yeah, that's uh, good. We then go to the dinner that earlier Jim's like, meet us at nine o'clock for dinner. And we're cut directly. It's not really a joke in the cut, but we cut directly to Brendan saying that he couldn't get anything out of the guy. Yes. Uh, he's following me. He wouldn't give me anything. He looked kinky. So before he could do something, I cold cocked him, <laughs> <laughs> which is, I feel like a line that plays a little differently in 2022. Yeah, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I think he meant like he was jumpy or he might. Yeah. But it's also a good line in both contexts, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Jim's response is great, too. I mean, it's, it's not like a, he's like, you cold cocked him. Like, mm-hmm. like, like who says that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who does that and who says that? Yeah. So it's the two of them and Marcy, and they're having dinner and kind of like catching up on the case. So at this point, I, my notes, I'm like, is, is Robert Redford a good guy? Right. Yeah. It's not that I'm not suspicious of Al uh, throughout. You've, uh, we know enough about Rockford's old friends. <laughs> like, there's there's no good old friend of Rockford. Right, there's, right. The, like, that's just how it is. Sorry, the best old friends of Rockford are the ones that we already know are criminals. <laughs> right, sure. But, um, so I'm very suspicious of him. But at this point, I'm like, did he did he knock out a federal agent? Right. Another PI? I'm assuming another PI. But, like, you know, what happened here? So I think this is where we start see, seeing Jim. Jim is starting to yeah. feel feel that something's off about the whole thing. So was that guy, like, working for Stabila? Because he's gotten tipped off to us or something. Yeah. And Brennan's like, no, 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 definitely not. He's like, well, how do you know? You know how you wanted me to get the files? Here's the files. Like, he's... he. Like he doesn't yeah. have a good answer for how he knows 100% for sure that that guy had nothing to do with Stabila. So he has to, like, move on, and Jim kind of gives him a look. Mm-hmm. But I guess we, I think, are also to understand that he also doesn't... Because, I mean, I think that was as reasonable a guess as any for us as the audience. And Jim's question, you cold cocked him, could definitely be read as, did you? Or, did, are, you, or are you telling us that you did? Yeah, yeah. So, but he hands over the files and Jim has some, oh, you gave him the 50? And there's this great significant pause before he says, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) It's like, he absolutely did not. (laughs) Yeah. We get a couple, some dialogue to establish what they know about Stubule at this point. He has this very expensive house that he paid for cash, 50% down. The collateral was the boat and this, and this huge valuable art collection. Um, Marcy says that she's lucky to have found them both. And then she goes to freshen mm-hmm. up. And this is when Jim gives Brennan his thoughts on some suspicions he's starting to have. Like her story was that her and her sister went to Switzerland for school, but she uses mm-hmm. like some kind of like street kind of slang. She doesn't she doesn't have any kind of like yeah. accent or anything. Not that she would, but you'd think that if someone went to school in Switzerland, they would have something. Mm-hmm. Brennan's explaining it all away. He's like, what do you know? Like like, so yeah. what, you know, what do you want her to sound like? The young kids these days. Yeah. Young kids, these days, they all <laughs> want to sound tough. Yeah. There is one new thing in the file that uh, Stabila is a Canadian citizen. This, again, mm-hmm. is important later. I think in order to disrupt Jim from continuing to talk about Marcy on our, you know, con level, mm-hmm. Brennan kind of flips out. He's like, 
I've had it. What's the matter with you? You give me nothing but busy work to do. You send me down to the courthouse to get the papers from Teddy. You say, wait at the motel. You say, meet me at the Paddock Club restaurant. You may be a pro, buddy, but I am no klutz. Now, will you sit down, huh? Just sit down. Okay, okay, maybe I'm nowhere, professionally speaking. You got a program? There's, there's a great line that kind of sets this off where uh, Brennan is like, you want my opinion, and Jim doesn't miss a beat and is just like, no. <laughs> and it, like I wrote it down because I'm like, that is pretty harsh, but also true. Yeah. <laughs> but in the face of this, Jim kind of talks him down. Brennan says, it's time for a patrol. You know, check out the, the place. And Jim says, okay, right idea. Wrong man. I'll stake out Stabila's place. You check out Marcia and her background, maybe found out some clue to Linda's behavior, something about, you know, their their relationship or their family or something. And Brennan readily agrees. He's like, oh, that's something I could really sink my teeth into. And again, in the moment, I'm like, is that something you can sink your teeth into? But mm-hmm. right. he's happy to agree to that because mm-hmm. Jim is doing what he wants, which is getting to the place to stake it out. So again, this is a moment where if Jim was like, okay, cool, you go on patrol. Mm-hmm. You think he would have some kind, either have an excuse for why he couldn't. So Jim would have to do it or some kind of like, well, you know, you'd actually be better at it than me. You know, I was right. wrong. I shouldn't have been mad. You're, you're the pro. You should do it. My head canon is that he has kind of a path forward, whether Jim agrees with him and says he should do it or they should do it together or he, or Jim or what he actually wants, which is Jim should go do it by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, we go to Jim on this stakeout. He's fixing up a oh. tangled reel while he's waiting, which is moi. Yeah. <laughs> but then we see a video camera watching him. Mm-hmm. And the framing of this was a little weird. For a second, I thought it was showing us a video camera and then showing us that Jim was not close to it. But then it shows right. us the TVs and he is being recorded. So I think it just... Either I misread it or the framing didn't really establish it really clearly. Are you complaining about the director of Simon the Witch King? <laughs> it's not really a complaint. <laughs> I'm just sometimes I start making notes and then I have to delete them because I'm like, oh, that was wrong. That's not what was happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we go inside where uh, Stabila and his dealer, his art mm-hmm. dealer, are talking about selling more art. Uh, we're saying he only got fair but not good money for the Picasso and the Matisse. And he better find other buyers. He's like, the market just isn't good. Find a better market. Yeah. His goon comes in uh, to tell him that this this P.I. Rockford is hanging out outside. So he tells him to bring him into the workshop or bring him out to the workshop. Rather, we then see Jim get the license plate of the fancy car that the art dealer or the mm-hmm. the fence. He's a stolen fence. art dealer. The stolen yeah, art dealer. Fence, yeah. Yeah. Let's let's not put on airs before uh, our goon pulls him out of the car with his gun. Um, Jim tries to talk it off. Oh, I'm just I'm just parked here. And don't try to be funny, Mr. Rockford. <laughs> Believe me, I'm not laughing. This this whole scene that's going to unfold here. Mm-hmm. There's this cards on the table thing that mm-hmm. goes on throughout it where uh, I just really enjoy it. Yeah, especially in the middle of an episode that's so steeped in deception that when Jim is standing toe to toe with ostensibly the villain of the right. piece, they're just like, this is what I know about you. <laughs> Stop it. So uh, he gets brought into the workshop. So this guy is Stabila. Apparently his hobby is making duck decoys. So he's like painting a wooden duck (laughs) and he has his angry Rottweiler with him. Uh, We get our from from our preview montage, our shots of this angry barking dog. He says he won't hurt you as long as you don't move suddenly. Uh, You're looking at a rock. (laughs) 
the pride that Jim takes in his his uh, <laughs> his let's say caution yeah is great I love it um they give him a punch in the short ribs to soften him up but uh Jim mm-hmm. basically just tells him he doesn't tell him like kind of the full real story but he does does tell him the story that he is operating under if that makes sense yeah I'm looking for Linda whatever her sister mm-hmm. you know is worried about her kind of his like fiction such as it is is like i thought i'd start with the place that she was that she worked right mm-hmm. and stabila interestingly is like linda didn't have a doesn't have a sister mm-hmm. she's the one who hired me um <laughs> as you say kind of cards on the table Stabila's like uh yeah she you know she worked for me she took off a couple weeks ago took her suitcase and you know if you see her tell her to return my tape deck yeah <laughs> uh but yeah that she just left no notice and jim's like all right well that's what I came here to find out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we're done. We're done. Uh, this is where we get the 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 threat, the coded, not even coded, but the threat of like, yeah, it would be really easy for me to convince the police that you were, uh, you know, that you broke and entered, and I had to kill you to, you know, and I and I killed you in self defense, and that kind of leads right. to Jim being like, okay, well, here's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there is an air of menace here, but it also is kind of this. In retrospect, it's this interesting moment where, like, there's, like, a hiccup in, like, the gears of the story, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. If this was, if this disappearance was really the issue, then this interaction would be going differently. Even if he was telling the mm-hmm. same story, like, just yeah. the tone would be different. But it really feels like, why are you here? I'm here for this reason. That reason doesn't make sense. Like, why are you really here? Yeah. I'm, I have no other reason to be here. All right. Well, don't come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got a great line. He's like, I'll say goodbye only once, Mr. Rockford. And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, all right. He's like, fair enough. I also, there's a, a couple things about this scene that like, I like, I love that the dog's name is Tristan. Mm-hmm. It's just a very, I'm a very rich person who owns a dog that's designed to kill people. And Jim's interaction with the dog is great. Um, but yeah, like the whole, just Jim is coming in under a pretext that he doesn't realize is false. Uh, is walking into a criminal enterprise. Hmm. They're wondering why is this private investigator researching our criminal enterprise? Hmm. They find out that he's not. He's he's here for a completely different reason. And they're like, okay, over here is all po- pokey bits. It's all knives mm-hmm. and things. You don't want to come here. And he's like, good, I will <laughs> leave. <laughs> and they reinforce that at the door where the goo, and I think his name is Lindsay, as we learn. But Jim is leaving, and this guy takes out oh, his yeah. gun and takes, like, a full, like, aiming stance, like, down on his knee, and then takes yeah. a shot specifically to miss Jim, but hit, like, the wall next to him on his way out. Yeah. And Jim, like, dives and rolls, and he yells, uh, <laughs> yeah. next time I won't miss. And then he keeps taking <laughs> pot shots as Jim jumps into the firebird. I didn't know I was thirsty for this until until my thirst was quenched. <laughs> As Jim dives into the Firebird, hits the gas, and then pulls a perfect J turn mm-hmm. uh, in the street to get out of there as fast as possible. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's good. Oh, uh, it's so good. We don't get a chase, but we get this, and we haven't had a J turn in a minute. Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been I can't remember the last episode where we had a J turn. So I was like, oh, a J turn. <laughs> There's nothing else to it. It's just to get out of this scene. But uh, mm-hmm. it's um, it's a good one. The last detail is that Aaron's in the van, sees this whole thing unfold, and then we end up, we know that his name is Aaron's because we hear a voice on his, like, earpiece going like, Mr. Aaron's, will you check in, please? And I think that's just to establish his name for us later. 
So Jim, I think, is on full full suspicion. His Rockford sense is at full tingle after yes. this encounter. <laughs> so we go to him looking uh, closely at the photo that he had received from Marcy uh, of her and her sister. Um, mm-hmm. He's looking at it with a magnifying glass and he's really investigating. Enhance. Yeah. <laughs> and he's telling Rocky that that they're in different focus. Like one of them looks sharper than the other one. So he thinks it's actually yeah. a composite a composite photo. Um, this is where we get Rocky saying that he's not happy that Jim is being shot at when it's not even his case. <laughs> Jim is going to go and try try and find a photographer friend to confirm his suspicions about the the photo. And Rocky says that look, they still have their trip, and he's going to leave whether Jim is there or not. And we have a great little. I don't know. Great little oh, yeah, yeah. warmth moment. <laughs> Come six in the morning. I am packed. Rifle, rod, and reel. Rocky, if you leave here without me, your truck is going to blow up in your face about two miles out. And he laughs and <laughs> pats Rocky on the belly. Like, like I'm going to be there, old man. <laughs> yeah. I'm <laughs> you know, yeah. not going to let you go without me. I appreciate Jim's commitment to going on this trip. Yeah, it's so often that, like, he ha- like we do see him break these trips it's also such a jim and rocky trip mm-hmm. i feel like whenever they need to put a time pressure on jim it's that he needs to go fishing with rocky yeah. and i i really enjoyed that yeah i'd had that thought at some point where it's like this is a this is actually a countdown clock for jim like he needs yeah. to solve this before <laughs> he goes on the trip with rocky um we then cut to as i have in my my notes marcy in quotation marks <laughs> On the phone, he's talking to someone. It sounds like she's setting up a date, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a knock on the door. It's Jim. He has important news about her sister, Linda. It's really important. Linda doesn't have a sister. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. Um, and so now Jim is confronting Marcy with what he thinks is going on. Um, he asks, who, who hired her to set him up? I talked to the doorman. He told me that men hire you all the time. <laughs> Between the, the the initial framing and this, we you know get the picture that you know Marcy is probably a sex worker and is mm-hmm. you know involved with all kinds of chicaneries. Um, and he, I think, tells her in order to tell us that he's been you know he did the legwork. Uh, he talked to Linda's parents. She doesn't have a sister. You know what's what's the deal? What are you, why are you involved in this? And that's when he gets cold cocked from behind by a half shaved <laughs> Al Brennan. Who was in the bathroom the whole time? The half shape bit is the the like oh okay mm-hmm. so like he didn't hire her or he may have hired her but it seems likely that uh, that what's going on here is that, that they have some sort of relationship like what why right. is he shaving in her bathroom if that's not the case or... yeah I think yeah it's not really explored further I guess it is implied later that they do have some kind of longer term situation. That's for our companion podcast to the uh, Jim and Beth, <laughs> what's their whole deal, uh-huh. which is Alan Marcy, what's their whole deal? <laughs> what is the situation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we end the scene with Marcy sternly telling Al that she doesn't know why she let him talk her into this and she wants out. Yeah. We then have a classic Jim is icing his poor sore head with a <laughs> tray of ice that's in the fridge. Um, they've left him alone and there's a bunch of like unpacked cardboard boxes and stuff. A lot of sad harmonica going on in this scene. Um, and then he finds her appointment book on the floor, which seems like a hell of a thing to leave behind, but I guess <laughs> I got to get from A to B somehow. Um, 
in one on one page there's a date with Brennan. He says Al Brennan's name, and then on another page there is a note for Brennan, like plus Allied Insurance. Mm-hmm. And Jim's like, ah. So now we get the the story starts to unravel. Um, Jim goes to this Allied Insurance uh company corporation whatnot. And learns that Al Brennan has done freelance work for them, but he's not on salary and they have no legal liability for his actions. <laughs> the insurance guy has no interest in their, their personal matters. And so Jim's like, I'm sure you have interest in some personal matters. What about Marcy, whoever? You might not remember her last name, but you probably remember that she looks good in pajamas. And we get the guy <laughs> going like, mm, uh-oh. Yeah. So Jim does this two or three times in this conversation where he's like, I know that you have been with Marcy Mm -hmm. and you and I know that you don't want me to reveal that. Right. You want that to be a secret. So, you know, there's the implicit threat there. Yeah. yeah, There's nothing explicit, but it's yeah. What he gets here is that Allied Insurance has some big recovery thing going on and that Brennan is Mm -hmm. trying to recover it and get the the 10% finder's fee. Jim's take is that like, I'm a licensed PI. Why don't you let me just have the same shot at the gig? Like, it's not like like it's a secret. Yeah. Between that and the implied threat, the insurance guy's like, oh, why not? After all, I never can get in touch with Brennan and we have another freelancer named Aaron's on it, but we haven't heard (laughs) from him for 18 hours. Like, what is it with you people? And Jim says, yeah, I'm much more punctual. Like Marcy. (laughs) They both have slow smiles of understanding. And then the uh, insurance president or whatever he is asks Jim if he likes art or knows anything about art. He says, well, I had a painted turtle once. Uh, Have you ever heard of the Shang Yin vase? Or sorry, the Shang Yin vase. Mm, Yes. We then go to Jim driving with Rocky, showing him a picture of this particular art object and i don't know if i expected this to be a gag or if it actually was but he shows him the picture and rocky says it's a vase and i expected jim to go it's not a vase it's a vase but he i think he actually yes says, i think he actually says it's the it's the shang yin the shang yin vase yeah yeah i know what i'm talking about anyway um the value it's insured at is three million dollars and it was stolen mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago and or a couple months ago whatever and there's a 10 percent finder's fee so we're looking at a lot of money specifically rocky's like look like we are going to that cabin i'm paying 55 dollars a day and we are going to use it mm-hmm. i'm leaving at six whether you're coming with me or not and jim's like 10 percent of three million is three hundred thousand dollars so when i find this thing i'll buy you a lake and the cabin to go with it <laughs> <laughs> But he wants Brennan even more than the 10%. Mm-hmm. What, one thing I just want to point out about uh, what we're beginning to see, the, the bigger picture here of what's going on. Uh, and there is a lot of tail chasing. Aaron's is following Brennan, who's trying to get Rockford to do the job. Right. They have already have two agents, PIs on the mm-hmm. job. Who are in competition with each other. None of them are working together. Rockford is the only one moving anything forward. Right. And right, everyone yeah. is just kind of dragging along behind him. So they're they're going back to Stabila's and Jim's like, he's going to go go in or something. And he tells Rocky that if he doesn't come out in half an hour to call the police. And then they see a fire engine. And Rocky says, yes. what about the fire department? <laughs> um, so now we get into more like quickly moving plot. Uh, I guess getting back to the con are kind of parallel stories here. They've now 
collided, right? Now it's all one story. Jim now knows that Brennan set him up. Mm -hmm. And I think he, because we've seen the whole episode, like I see all the details at this point, I guess I'm still a little bit like, why? Yeah, like why set Jim? Like is Brennan... I had a thought at some point where I was like, has Brennan like flipped and he's working for Stabila and yeah, because like the vase got stolen from him or something like, you know, is there some weird new reveal to be had? But I guess, yeah, overall, it's like it's it's fairly straightforward where Jim knows that he was set up with this missing person case Mm -hmm. and the real aim is to get is to recover this vase. Stabila has the vase. Brennan's gunning for it. There's this other guy in the mix who's been gunning for it. And now Jim gets to gun for it. Yeah. Because he knows what's actually going on now. And 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 now the house of the person who has the vase is on fire. Right. So we <laughs> cut to Dennis and Billings in the background um, as they are putting the dealer, the art dealer, the stolen art dealer in a squad car. There's conversation between Billings, Rockford, and this cop from New York yeah. who has to have been on this show before. <laughs> Lieutenant Hayes, yeah. There's one in every port and mm-hmm. foul on first play, which hmm. I think we've done we've both done of both those, right? Those, yeah. Oh, it's a wrap. So this is a this is a wrap on John Mann. I don't remember the characters, but I remember the face. He's he's a man with a face. That is one man with a face. Uh, so one thing, like this scene um, has a nice Becker dynamic. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Quite often when we see uh, Jim and Becker, it's in a situation where Jim's friendship puts Becker's job in jeopardy, right? right. But here's a situation where we've got an out-of-state cop kind of just shoving Becker around and he doesn't like it. Yeah. So uh, we we get to see Dennis just, t- just take Jim's side and not even, like, defend him. Just, like, just completely... Just help him out. It's good. It's, yeah, it's just great. It's fun. Yeah, the story here is that uh, Sibilo was in his workshop alone. It went up in flames. It's You know, there's tools in there, sawdust, that kind of thing can happen. Mm-hmm. How do they know it's him? Well... They found like his ring and something else, and then the dog's collar. And I was like, hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess from what we know at the end, it's it could go either way. It, that could have been a part of yeah. the plant, or he could have been a real, a real bad, a real bad person. Yeah. Um. So the cop from New York is looking for this stolen vase. Uh, it was stolen two months ago. They've tracked it to the art dealer. And if the dealer, the dealer knows what trouble he's in because of he's getting kind of tapped for this among other things. So he would tell them if he knew where it was. So they're pretty mm-hmm. sure he doesn't know where it is. Um, and Sibila is for what they know at this time is dead. So now they're searching yeah. the premises. Um, so this is all what Dennis tells Jim after the cop from New York tells Dennis, Oh, I told your men to do this thing. And he's like, don't order my, my men around. Yeah don't tell this guy anything and then yeah because jim asks a question and the cop responds like why are we helping you and then dennis just turns to him <laughs> just turns to jim and just lays it all out it's so good it's wonderful to watch jim asks about al brennan and the cop says oh the fbi guy he was here earlier he seemed upset that the vase wasn't on the premises <laughs> <laughs> and jim's like oh i bet he was uh and tells dennis we have to go catch a boat 
Mm-hmm. So I think Jim is operating on the premise of there's no way that Jabila was in there and that yeah. the vase is off somewhere getting, you know, taken away while everyone's distracted with this fire. So the cops roll up on the boat right as they're casting off. Dennis, in fact, has a warrant. So they go to search the boat looking for the vase. The skipper sees Jim and goes, Who's this guy? He misrepresented himself to me as a maritime insurance appraiser. Me? You know very well you did. Hey, that's ridiculous, Dennis. What do I know about boats, huh? You start up at the bow, uh, the front, uh, the pointy part, you know. <laughs> it's a good it's a good callback. It's so funny. He's like, I, the skipper is so offended that mm-hmm. he was lied to from this guy who clearly knows about boats. And then Jim's just like, yeah. Dennis, I don't know anything about boats. Oh, it's so good. The thing about this captain that's, uh that's i think really plays well is that he he simply wants to be in charge of his little ship mm-hmm. right yeah every time we see him that's all he's doing is like he's offering him permission to go ashore so he puts up a lot of resistance he wants to leave the dock before the cops show up he puts up a lot of resistance there is nothing illegal going on with this boat mm-hmm. the cops search it they find nothing so why is he doing it well, he's doing it because he was put in charge. Yes, of he's in boat charge. He yeah. was told to leave immediately. And that is his job. Like, and I love that. Like, he's got this very straightforward care. So, yeah, he's he's upset with Jim for misrepresenting. Like, he's he would have him walk the plank. And <laughs> Flog him. Keel haul him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very good. It's a he's a great one of our great minor characters that we've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, well, they say you know your boss is dead. Where did these dead? Where did these orders come mm-hmm. from? He says, oh, they're Mister Lindsay, the his assistant, is the the goon that we saw earlier shooting at Rockford. He has orders to cast off immediately, and they're going to Mexico, I guess, with or without Mister Stabila. Yeah. Dennis doesn't find anything. Jim's like, it has to be here. You have to tear it apart. And Dennis is like, I didn't find anything. Thank you for your help. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Jim's like, okay, I don't know what they're offering you. I love this. He says, half of the reward for the vase could be yours. That's $100,000, which is extremely (laughs) funny. (laughs) It's a very angel move. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Uh, Half of the $300,000, a.k.a. $100,000, could be yours. But he says, I'm going to give you the same deal I gave your partner. Get off my boat. Mm -hmm. Partner, Al Brennan, he was there an hour earlier. Of course he was. <laughs> Final question. Just answer me the one question and I'll leave you alone. Um, who is taking care of the body and personal effects? And he says, well, I, I guess Mr. Lindsay. All right. So we then have a brief but fun little scene at the funeral home, I presume, where Jim again does a cold read. He asks about Stabila and the guy who is an extremely, I don't know, Vincent Price-y <laughs> kind of funeral director saying that the the remains were already dispatched. You know, why do you want to know? It's like, oh, he says that he's John's brother. He flew in from New York and he was too late for the funeral, I guess. Mm -hmm. The remains were sent by train to Canada on the sunset special. But you're too late. (laughs) It left from Union Station half an hour ago. So this is why Jim wants Dennis to stop the train. Um, Get the line from the preview montage about you stop the Ventura Mm -hmm. Freeway. You can stop a train with 300 people. But uh, in a wonderful piece of uh, language. Down here at the station, you have a great big credibility crisis going on. (laughs) It's like he already went on Jim's word to go search the boat. And that wasn't anything. So, you know. Yeah. He's all out. There's also a good beat where 
Jim keeps asking Dennis and the New York cop is listening on the other line and then finally gives Dennis a big thumbs down. Yeah. And so Dennis is like, look, I got it. So Dennis just lies. He's like, he was known to have secret panels in his walls. So I have guys searching yeah. those out. And Jim's just like, sure. Okay. Thanks, Dennis. He gets off the payphone and Rocky has procured the train schedule. And Jim's like, all mm-hmm. right, Rocky, well, you're going to have to come with me. We'll come back to get your truck. <laughs> like, they just leave Rocky's truck there. They both drive in the Firebird, or Jim drives, but they both go in the Firebird. Um, and Rocky's looking up the schedule, and uh, we'll fill out a card yeah. of our 200-day bingo where uh, they can't catch it at the next stop, but they can probably catch it in Oxnard. Oxnard. <laughs> Someday I'm going to visit Oxnard. Oxnard. Well, that'd be Oxnard. Um, Rocky's like, do you really think that it's on this train? It's a long shot. And Jim says, well, you go with what mm-hmm. you got. And, but what I'm really hoping is that Brennan is on the train. Yeah. So we cut to Al Brennan searching crates on the train. <laughs> Jim sneaks up behind him, gives him a high owl, and then punches him out when he turns around in surprise. <laughs> I did have a moment where I was like, oh, we don't get to see Jim get on the train. And then I realized he just got on, the, like he just bought a ticket and got on the train. It's not like a... Yeah. Like he didn't like have to jump onto it from the speeding firebird or something. Yeah. Like <laughs> Um, so we are in our final stretch now and we have a lot yeah. of Brennan trying to salvage his position by appealing to Jim's to history and Jim's sense mm-hmm. of like fairness and Jim just having none of it. Yeah. It's like it's borderline mean. Mm-hmm. Well, he did sucker punch it. Yeah. It's, it's not that he doesn't deserve it. I'm, I think I figure I'm going to do to you what you did to me. I can get $300,000 from the insurance company and you can get a pogo stick. <laughs> I think he does ask, like, why? Like, why did you set me up? Or why Why all the bother or something? Mm-hmm. Brennan explains they needed Jim's contacts. He knows the territory. All he had was this one name, and he needed someone to, like, actually do the work. <laughs> right? We have another cut. I guess Jim... So the framing of this is a little weird, but I guess Jim is keeping an eye on Brennan, and I couldn't tell if he was, like, tied up or handcuffed to something. And I guess he's not, as we learn. No. But, like, the... The blocking is a little, I think it's meant to be a little, like, unsure about who's, you know, in what condition. But yeah. Jim is uh, alternating, looking looking at Brennan and then, you know, prying nails out of a crate with a crowbar. And he gets the top up. And sure enough, in this last crate, there is the vase. <laughs> and then our, our villain, Stabila, and <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was Lindsay or another goon. This all happens kind of quick, but they, they, Stabula and a goon appear. They have guns. Of course, he's not dead. Mm-hmm. And Jim fills us in. He's like, I'm pretty sure that the contents of this vase are the remains of Aaron's. He's the one who you, you know, caught poking around and used to throw everyone off the scent. And, and so Stabula says something like, echoing his line to Jim, like, The man trespassed into my property and ended my workshop. It was an accident. I think I would take a creative writing course before I gave my statement to the police. That is when Brennan grabs a sack that's next to him and throws it at Sabila, and there's a brief scuffle with some meaty punches and uh, some Kirk-style axe handle <laughs> blows from uh, from from Al to take out the um, our villains. Real meaty thwacks, and then they're both down. And then Brennan grabs the crate with the vase and rolls the door open. And goes towards the open door, and then Jim follows and grabs for the crate, and then it just shoots out. It just falls out of their hands and just disappears. We go to our final scene where Jim and Brennan are walking the tracks. 
looking for the crate. They've clearly been out there for a while. And we go through a couple rounds of like, oh, I see that warehouse. I recognize that warehouse. I recognize those Mm -hmm. trash cans. That's the same thing you said for the last 12 warehouses. (laughs) What has to be somewhere on this 12 mile stretch of track there. It's down there. Brennan runs down into the into like a, a gutter and Jim's like, that's the wrong side of the train, Al. <laughs> <laughs> we learn that uh, if the cops sent out a team with a helicopter and they couldn't find it, there's no chance for Jim and Al to find it. Finally, uh, Al's like, OK, I just can't look anymore. Yeah. But they do really work well together, don't they? And he says, <laughs> out, out of conflict comes strength, which is. <laughs> Uh, a great rationalization if I've ever heard one. Right, right. It, yeah, he's still trying to get Jim's good side here to to get something out of him. Yeah, and he says Jim could use a partner, and Brennan, mm-hmm. he's willing to be that partner. Jim <laughs> says, I'll buy a dog. Yeah, yeah. And then in a last-ditch effort, he brings up stealing the tank, which we've heard from some other mm-hmm. episodes where uh, Jim stole a tank once in Korea, um, brought in <laughs> all the like green beer for the kids' bar mitzvah or something like that, and some other escapades on the 38th parallel. And Jim ends our episode. You said it. Yeah, I'll be a good old soldier. Don't die. Just fade away. <laughs> Pretty harsh, but again, uh, Al earned it. Al, Al harsh, absolutely earned it. But fair. Uh, the ending, like I remember, uh, the ending being there's something reminiscent. Uh, no, not reminiscent. A deja vu about walking along. I think mm-hmm. there's an episode with where he's got his fellow PI. They end up walking along the side of the highway looking for something. Oh, I'm trying to remember. Oh, is that, are you thinking of the Queen of Peru where they're looking for the diamond? He's not a PI, but that's, yeah. Yeah. So the, Jim finds himself in this situation more often than I do. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> at least twice. Yeah, at least twice. It was a, it was a very fun episode. Yeah. I, like, like I said, going back and like knowing what I know that Brennan is conning Jim, uh, it's not so much that there are plot holes because of that, but that I... Uh, you you kind of have to give Al a lot of credit that he doesn't necessarily deserve from what we see on screen. Yeah. I mean, it runs on vibes. It, it, runs, it, on vibes it runs on vibes. vibes. <laughs> well, speaking of Al earning credit that maybe we don't see on screen, uh, the email asking about this episode also posed us oh, a yeah. question for consideration, which goes as follows. This is a fine episode with Ned Beatty, but the ending Mm -hmm. has an unclear, crucial action. Specifically, why does he do what he does in the climactic scene on the train? What was his plan? And I presume that is referring to throwing the vase out the side of the train. We talked about this before the show, whether or not you would ask me this question before we started or like after we Mm -hmm. did it, you would hit me up with the question. And literally in my notes, I have, what was your plan, Brennan? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm assuming that we're on board with when given the choice between Stabilo with a gun and Jim Rockford, he takes Jim's side, right? Like, that's not the question of like why he attacks the guys. And yeah, because they're both under threat. I think that makes sense. And then, in the confusion, he grabs the crate. He opens the door. It's not like the door rolled open during the fight or anything, I don't right. think. He opens the I door. he's going to jump. That seems like what he was going to do. And, and my textual evidence for this is that throughout, we have the, the $300,000 reward right. for Jim, right? Which we all know he's not getting. Right. Like, there's... Absolutely no chance. There's no chance he's getting that. But 
every time that comes up, or not every time, but like most, he also says, I am also trying to save Brennan from himself. Like he doesn't say it in those words. I think it's seesaws between save Brennan from himself and I am trying to get satisfaction for being conned by Brennan. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. I would argue that Brennan jumping from the train, that that's exactly the kind of stupid idea. Self-destructive that, behavior. Yeah, that he would he would follow through on, mm-hmm. that it's up to Jim to keep him from doing. I think the read from, from the scene, like I think the read from what we see on the screen and what we know of this character is that he, he has a moment where he is free to do whatever he can mm-hmm. with $300,000, right? Like he's not thinking about a vase, yeah. he's thinking about $300,000. He can either try and get past Jim or he can go out the side of the train. And yeah, one of those sounds easier. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I think there is a question as to whether he was planning slash his impulse was to jump with it or to like push it out and come back later somehow like this isn't a plan mm-hmm. that he thought of in advance and is executing on this is a spur of the moment reaction and then when jim yeah. goes to grab it that both makes it harder for him to jump and also physically means that neither of them can really hold on to the crate and it goes over right because it's not like jim is throwing the crate either it's more like they're struggling for it and it just falls that's what i yeah. remember yeah. it looking like it's not like jim comes up and shoves it out of his hands or something right yeah Unless I'm misremembering. Well, or or we both are. Uh, Yeah, I don't think his plan was to throw the crate out and then recover it. Or it could be like throw the crate out and then jump or something. Like, I don't know if he was hugging the crate and leaping at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's splitting hairs. I mean, we are talking about a vase. A vase, that's true. I don't think anything, I don't think throwing a crate out of a train is a smart thing to do, no matter how well packed. Yeah. So... He's constantly desperate. I think that's the thing. We do get the sense of desperation where he is not only telling Jim, I'm broke, I got laid off, I'm on the street, the money Mm -hmm. I do get, I have to give to my bookie. Like, I don't know if that's, I mean, that's part of the con. Like, I got paid a thousand dollars and I had to, but I had to give it to my bookie. That's why you don't see me with a thousand dollars. But I mean, he mentions multiple times that he's lost money betting on the horses. So, like, Mm -hmm. he probably has had to give his bookie his money the few times he's had it, right? Um, (laughs) And, like, he doesn't have the money for the gas even though he just didn't give the full $50 bribe to the guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. timeline wise, he actually has cash in that moment. Um, yeah. So yeah, like I think it reads like he is legitimately desperate and mm-hmm. this has been the focus of his entire desperation for weeks. So, you know, his snap impulse is to like, like I can save this. Right. I can make this happen. I can make this happen. And so in that sense, Jim saves him, right? Like, there's Mm -hmm. no way you want to jump out of a moving train holding a crate. Like, that just... Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's a bad idea. Um, But, yeah, I think there's no plan beyond the next moment in that ending sequence. And I don't think that... I don't think it feels weird. Like, it feels... Uh, it feels like it follows from the character as established. Yeah. Like that you're like, what was your plan? He's like, well, I didn't have a plan. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's the part that doesn't, that going back doesn't hang well. And why we, why mm. we subsist on vibes in this is that he doesn't tend to have good plans. And, mm-hmm. and the beginning of this felt slightly Machiavellian, right? Like right, the, the, yeah. if, if this is what he was playing for, but again, there are ways to read it where it makes sense. 
And I prefer to do that because I actually really quite enjoyed the episode. Yeah. So if you think about this as a fighting game, right? Yeah, as you should. As you should. And think about the, I don't know, the, the plan, the plan meter, like a, like a, like a break, mm-hmm. like a combo breaker or something. Right. Like, right. <laughs> so Jim, his, his style is that he kind of always has a constant level of plan. Mm hmm. Sometimes he does a full con game and that's a different thing. But like he generally, you know, he he has a bunch of tools in his toolbox and he always knows when the best one to use is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't go well. But one of the reasons he's so good at rolling with the punches and getting what he needs to out of a given situation is he has all these tools and they're all they're all the, you know, when he, he knows which one to use at which time to be the most effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al Brennan he has a meter that starts that starts at full and just depletes as the episode goes yes. on. Right. <laughs> like he has, yeah. he has a plan at the beginning and mm-hmm. as long as things are tracking with the plan, he seems kind of like a mastermind, but right. Once the wheels start to come off, which I think really hits in the scene where Jim finally actually talks to um, Sibylla. Yeah. Then he, his, his meter is all the way gone and he's just, he's just going on instinct. Like he's just yeah trying to keep a step ahead of Jim, trying to get to the vase a step ahead of Jim because he knows that if Jim catches him up, he's he's mm-hmm. going to be out. That's kind of my my read. I think that's a good read because that definitely plays out in how he keeps um, stumbling when Jim starts poking at the edges of his. Yeah, his he doesn't roots. have a good cover. He all he can do is redirect. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah I think you're probably right. I'm I'm going with that. That <laughs> vibes. That'll get me through. That and vibes. Yeah. This is now the vibes uh, era of the podcast where we get to yeah. compare things on plot and vibes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like this is a tool that we could have used much earlier, but <laughs> starting to feel good about it. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I want to thank listener Jim from Maine. Thank you so much for recommending that one. I mean, we ostensibly would have gotten to it at some point, but, it, you know, uh, and uh, I agree with you. It, it, you do have to ask what mm-hmm. what was his plan? <laughs> what was going on here? Yeah, I would say it's unclear, not because like there's no reason in the plot for it to happen, but it's unclear because he himself does not have like the character does not know why yeah, he's yeah. acting the way he's acting. He's just going on instinct. And that's why it's a little like, why would you do that? Because I'm out of ideas. What, what was your plan is, is a question I would ask someone in IRL. Right. In right real life. Yeah. Like a, it would definitely um, see someone to do something and be like, well, what did you expect? <laughs> what was your plan? What? Exactly. Yeah, fun one. And again, super fun to see the other end of the um, Ned Beatty uh, yeah. scale. In a way, I, re- I mean, Profit and Loss was really good. I really, I remember really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Ironically, I guess, I remember that the ending of that one was a little unsatisfying. Like the logic of why his character did what he did. Like he ends up oh, right. tracking down Jim and then like shooting at him in a cul-de-sac or something. Like there was, there was an element of like, that doesn't really seem to make much sense. You've exposed yourself to additional danger for doing that. And it mm-hmm. felt a little bit like, well, we have to wrap up the story. So this was the best way. And here it's, again, we have a character doing like, why would you do that? But it actually grows out of the character. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of like that as a parallel. But yeah, fun. They have fun chemistry. Uh, there's a lot of good facial, like facial acting, a lot of good body language, like all those, mm-hmm. all those things that we love to see. So definitely, definitely a fun one to put on our radar. And yeah, I don't, I guess my last, my last comment would just be 
there's a version of this episode that is more layered and tangled with different like again like how Aaron's we're kind of like is he a fed is he another pi is he a cop like he seems like he could be from another concern and the same thing like the the irs shows up and it's like oh the irs is involved and then that's just you know a part of a ploy um there's a version of this where those are actually other uh interested parties and it gets to be one of those really like over elaborate yeah those elaborate like showdowns where jim has to play everyone off against each other we have plenty of those episodes this isn't a complaint but yeah yeah there is it kind of has some of the some of that structure and then it and then as you go along it's like oh no the it's less of a mystery and more of a uh character confrontation kind of situation and we get to hear about jim's uh escapades in korea stealing tanks stealing christmas parties (laughs) smuggling christmas parties whatever he's doing Uh, Good times. I I do always enjoy those those backstories, uh, in, especially just how uh, mythic they feel. There was one thing we skipped over, but, sp- but speaking of backstory, specifically the threat that Jim receives about like it would be easy to convince the cops because he specifically says you're a PI with a criminal record. It would be easy for me to convince the cops that you were breaking yes. entering, right? And like that that classic misunderstanding of Jim's criminal record and trying to leverage it against yeah. him. Uh, just a little <laughs> note, just a little, yeah. A, another Rockfordishness that is uh, in here, which is, uh, which is nice. Well, do you have anything else to, to say about return to the 38th parallel? No, I was, uh, it's a great rap on Ned Beatty and the other two. <laughs> Ned Beatty, Walter Dollenbach, um, the writer and the guy who plays, John Mann. yeah, John Mann, the guy who plays the cop. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. A lot of fun. Indeed. All right. Well, I have to go walk the rails in search of my $300,000 payday. <laughs> I don't know about you. We'll see, see what we find, but assuming that we do not in fact find huge amounts of cash just lying on the ground or a vase or a vase, we will be back next time to talk about another episode of the Rockford Files. Well, that'd be Oxnard.